Section 4 of Out of the Iron Womb by Paul Anderson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Paul Harvey. You can't just lie here and let him come kill you. There was a picture behind his eyes. He didn't know if it was a dream or a long-buried memory. He stood under an aspen which quivered and rustled, as if it laughed to itself softly, softly, when the wind embraced it. And the wind was blowing up a red granite slope, wild and salt from the sound, and there were towering clouds lifting over Denmark to the west. The sunlight rained and streamed through aspen leaves, broken, shaken, falling in spatters against the earth. And he, Bo Johnson, laughed with the wind and the tree and the far watery glitter of the sound. He opened his eyes wearily, like an old man. Orion was marching past, and there was a blaze on crags five miles off which told of the rising sun. The asteroid spun swiftly. He had been here for many of its days now, and each day burdened him like a year. Got to get out of here, he knew. He sat up, pain tearing along his furrowed breast. Somehow he had kept the wrench with him. He stared at it in a dull wonder. Where to go? Where to hide? What to do? Thirst nagged him. Slowly he uncoiled the tube, which led from the electrically heated canteen welded to a suit, screwed its end into the helmet nipple, thumbed down the clamp which closed it, and sucked hard. It helped a little. He dragged himself to his feet and stood swaying. Only the near weightlessness kept him erect. Turning his head in its transparent cage, he saw the sun rise, and bright spots danced before him when he looked away. His vision cleared, but for a moment he thought the shadow lifting over a nearby ridge was a wisp of unconsciousness. Then he made out the bulky, black-painted edge of it, gigantic against the Milky Way, and it was Lungard, moving unhurriedly up to kill him. A dark laughter was in his radio earphones. Take it easy, Bo. I'll be there in a minute. He backed away, his heart a sudden thunder, looking for a place to hide. Down. Get down, and don't stand where he can see you. He crouched as much as the armor would allow and broke into a bounding run. A slug spat broken stone near his feet. The powdery dust hung for minutes before settling. Breath rattled in his throat. He saw the lip of a meteoric crater and dove. Crouching there, he heard Lungard's voice again. You're somewhere near. Why not come out and finish it now? The radio was non-directional, so he snapped back. A gun against a monkey wrench? Lungard's coolness broke a little. There was almost a puzzled note. I hate to do this. Why Why can't you be reasonable? I don't want to kill you. The trouble, said Bo harshly, is that I want to kill you. Behold the man of the new enlightenment, Bo could imagine Lungard's grin. It would be tight, and there would be sweat on the lean face, but the amusement was genuine. Didn't you believe sweet reasonableness could solve everything? This is only the beginning, Bo. Just a small preliminary hint that the age of reason is dying. I've already converted you to my way of thinking by the very fact you're fighting me. 
Why not admit it? Bo shook his head, futile gesture, looked in darkness where he lay. There was a frosty blaze of stars when he looked up. It was more than himself and Johnny Malone, more even than the principle of the thing and the catastrophe to all men which Lungard's victory meant. There was something deep and primitive which would not let him surrender, even in the teeth of annihilation. Valeria's image swayed before him. Lungard was moving around, peering over the shadowy tumble of blackened rock in search of any trace. There was a magnetic rifle in his hands. Bo strained his helmet to the crater floor, trying to hear ground vibrations, but there was nothing. He didn't know where Lungard was, only that he was very near. Blindly, he bundled his legs and sprang out of the pit. They found the asteroid where Valeria had left her recording instruments. It was a tiny, drifting fragment of a world which had never been born, turning endlessly between the constellations. The Sirius moored fast with grapples, and Valeria donned a spacesuit and went out to get her apparatus. Lungard accompanied her. As there was only work for two, Bo stayed behind. He slumped for a while in the pilot chair, letting his mind pace through a circle of futility. Valeria, Valeria, Valeria. Oh, strong and fair, and never to be forgotten. Would he ever see her again after they made Luna? This won't do, he told himself dully. I should at least keep busy. Thank God for work. He wasn't much of a thinker, he knew that, but he had cleverness in his hands. It was satisfying to watch a machine come right under his tools. Working, he could see the falseness of Lungard's philosophy. The man could quote history all he wanted, weave a glittering circle of logic around Bo's awkward brain, but it didn't change facts. Maybe the century was headed for trouble. Maybe psychotechnic government was only another human self-limitation and should be changed for something else. Nevertheless, the truth remained that most men were workers who wished no more than peace, in which to create as best they could. All the high ideals in the universe weren't worth breaking the union for and smashing the work of human hands in a single burst of annihilating flame. I can feel it down inside me, but why can't I say it? He got up and went over to the baggage rack. Remembering that Lungard had dozens of book reels along, and that reading would help him not to think about what he could not have. On a planet, Bo would not have dreamed of helping himself without asking first. But custom is different in space, where there is no privacy, and men must be a unit if they are to survive. He was faintly surprised to see that Lungard's personal suitcase was locked, but it would be hours probably before the owner got back, Dismantling a recorder setup took time, a long time in which to talk and laugh with Valeria. In the chill spatial radiance, her hair would be like frosty fire. Casually, Bo stooped across to Lungard's sack hammock and took his key off the hook. He opened the suitcase and lifted out some of the reels in search of a promising title. Underneath them were neatly folded clothes, 
fireball uniforms and fancy dress pajamas, a tartan edge stuck out from below, and Bo lifted a coat to see what clan that was, probably a souvenir of Lungard's Venusian stay. Next to the kilt was a box which he recognized. L-masks came in such boxes. How the idea came to him, he did not know. He stood there for minutes, looking at the box without seeing it. The ship was very quiet around him. He had a sudden feeling that the walls were closing in. When he opened the box, his hand shook, and there was sweat trickling along his ribs. The mask was of the latest type, meant to fit over the head, snug around the cheeks and mouth and jaws. It was like a second skin, reflecting expression, not to be told from a real face. Bo saw the craggy nose and the shock of dark hair, limp now, but suddenly he was back on Achilles, with riot roaring around him and Johnny Malone's body in his arms. No wonder they never found that Venusian. There never was any. Bo felt a dim shock when he looked at the chronometer. Only five minutes had gone by while he stood there. Only five minutes to turn the cosmos inside out. Very slowly and carefully, he repacked the suitcase and put it in the rack and sat down to think. What to do? Accuse Lundgaard to his face? No. The man undoubtedly carried that needler. And there was Valeria to think of. A ricocheting dart? A scratch on her? No. It took Bo a long time to decide. His brain seemed viscous. When he looked out of a port to the indifferent stars, he shuddered. They came back, shedding their spacesuits in the airlock. Frost whitened the armor as moisture condensed on chilled surfaces. The metal seemed to breathe cold. Valeria went efficiently to work, stowing the boxed instruments as carefully as if they were her children. There was a laughter on her lips, which turned Bo's heart around inside him. Lungard leaned over the tiny desk where he sat. What you doing? he asked. Recalculating our orbit to Luna, said Bo. I want to go slow for a few million miles before going up to hyperbolic speed. Why? It'll add days to the trip and the fuel. I'm, I'm afraid we might barge into Swarm 770. It's supposed to be near here now and... Um, the positions of those things are never known for sure. Uh, perturbations. Bo's mouth felt dry. You've got a megamile of safety margin, or your orbit would never have been approved, argued Lungard. Hell damn it, I'm the captain, yelled Bo. All right, all right, take it easy, Skipper. Lungard shot a humorous glance at Valeria. I certainly don't mind a few extra days in the present company. She smiled at him. Bo felt ill. His excuse was thin. If Lungard thought to check the ephemeris, it would fall to ruin. But he couldn't tell the real reason. An iron-drive ship does not need to drift along the economical Hohmann-A orbit of the big freighters. It can build up such furious speed that the sun will swing it along a hyperbola rather than an ellipse and can still break that speed near its destination. But the critical stage of acceleration has to be just right. 
or there will not be enough fuel to stop completely. The ship will be pulled into a cometary orbit and run helpless. The crew probably starving before a rescue vessel can locate them. Bo dared not risk the trouble exploding at full drive. He would drift along, capture and bind Lungard at the first chance, and then head for Earth. He could handle the Sirius alone, even if it was illegal. He could not handle her if he had to fight simultaneously. His knuckles were white on the controls. As he loosened the grapples and nudged away from the asteroid, with a whisper of power. After a few minutes of low acceleration, he cut the rockets, checked position and velocity, and nodded. On orbit, he said mechanically. It's your turn to cook, I Einer. Lungard swooped easily through the air into the cubbyhole, which served for a galley. Cooking in freefall is an art which not all spacemen master, but he could. His meals were even good. Bo felt a helpless kind of rage at his own clumsy efforts. He crouched in midair, dark of mind, a leg hooked around a stanchion to keep from drifting. When someone touched him, his heart jumped and he whirled around. What's the matter, Bo? asked Valeria. You look like doomsday. I, I, he gulped noisily and twisted his mouth into a smile. I just feel in a little off. It's more than that, I think. Her eyes were grave. You've seemed so unhappy the whole trip. Is there anything I can do to help? Thanks, Dr. McKittrick, but don't be so formal, she said almost wistfully. I don't bite. Too many men think I do. Can't we be friends? With a thick-headed clinker like me? His whisper was raw. Don't be silly. It takes brains to be a spaceman. I like a man who knows when to be quiet. She lowered her eyes. The lashes were long and sooty black. There's something solid about you, something so few people seem to have these days. I wish you wouldn't go feeling so inferior. At any other time, it would have been a sunburst in him. Now he thought of death and mumbled something and looked away. A hurt expression crossed her face. I won't bother you, she said gently and moved off. The thing was to fall on Lungard while he slept. The radar alarm buzzed during a dinner in which Lungard's flow of talk had battered vainly against silence and finally given up. Bo vaulted over to the control panel and checked. No red light glowed, and the autopilot wasn't whipping them out of danger, so they weren't on a collision course but the object was getting close. Bo calculated it was an asteroid on an orbit almost parallel to their own. Relative speed, only a few feet per second. It would come within 10 miles or so. In the magnifying periscope, it showed as a jagged dark cube, turning around itself and flashing hard glints of sunlight off mica beds. Perhaps six miles square, all crags and cracks and fracture faces, heatless and lifeless and kindless. End of section four. Recording by Paul Harvey.